0: Hey, are you listening to this podcast because you're a fan of old school wrestling? Back when Sting would wear the red, white, and blue, and Moodle spray and mess, Jim Crockett was ruling wrestling. Well, Starcast 4 is coming to Baltimore, and so are all those guys. And they're bringing their Hall of Fame friends with them. We've got Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Arn Anderson, Magnum TA, Ron Simmons. It is a once in a lifetime opportunity to meet all of your favorites from the NWA and WCW, including the most rare photo op of all, not the great mood in paint, but that's pretty rare. How about Sting in the red, white, and blue? That's right. The actual outfit he wore when he won the world championship for the very first time, a great American bash, 1990, he'll have the stars and stripes on. And of course the actual championship won a photo op. But if you think that's cool, how about Jim Crockett? Yes, David Crockett will be there too, but we think this might be the first public appearance of Jim Crockett ever. Certainly in more than 15 years, you don't want to miss a minute of this. Of course, all the great stars from AEW are going to be there. Our own JR is going to sit down with John Moxley and you don't want to miss that. Moxley's probably got a lot on his mind. Cody Rhodes, the young bucks, Jurassic express, our main man, Taz. You got to see all the stars coming to Baltimore for Starcast four. Tickets are on sale now at starcast.com and don't forget there's two R's in starcast, S T A R R C A S T.com. So mark your calendars. Now, November 7th through the 10th, Baltimore, Maryland, starcast.com. Welcome.
1: Do something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Pritchard. Who's Pritchard? Well, you know. <laughs> That's not a rib. She pooted. She <laughs> pooted. Is that a rib? No, yeah, but me. There's no box of gimmicks. <laughs> rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it. See there? I was there. Say something about I don't give a shit. I ain't scared I ain't scared of shit. I kill. Bruce. Ah, love you, you take the cheese. You cheeseburger. You take the bread, Double cheese, you know. And then double mayo. you know. It's called chicken salad. Double onion, mother
0: pie. You're nothing but an egg-sucking dog. Oh, they're on your Google machine. Goddamn, kid. God damn it. What
1: the hell show you got there? I need more. Oh, yeah. What say you? Ow. And now, something to wrestle with. Charms a good
0: night. Yeah. You're so big. Yeah. good. Yeah. That's Welcome to wrestle. Right. title Welcome to something to wrestle something with. To wrestle, something, to wrestle, something, something to wrestle with. with.
1: Something, something to wrestle with. Something
0: to wrestle with. Ding Bruce it. Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard.
1: Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Oh, not much. Been kind of quiet. Quiet week.
0: I can't. Imagine. My teeth
1: came out. My teeth came out. They keep coming out, Conrad. I got temps in, and I sent you a picture. <laughs> but I sent you a picture with just one of them gone. But the two front teeth keep popping out at the most inopportune of times, too. And all I got is little metal pegs that are uh, up there, and it's it's pretty annoying.
0: All I want for Christmas is my two
1: front teeth. I ain't it's waiting for Christmas time. dog.
0: Hey, you know, what's funny is, um, you think after all that we've done together here on the show, you would know better than to go to Kane for your dental work.
1: Well, you know, it was, uh, Dr. I Yankum DDS and it's, the price was right.
0: You know, what's funny is, uh, we are such assholes to each other in real life that when you send me this toothless selfie. Where you can tell you're not feeling good and hurting, but you're in a bathroom mirror. I I replied with, <laughs> what the fuck? And then the next text was, you got the all new iPhone 11 and didn't tell me? <laughs> Just yeah. completely no sell the tooth at all. Uh, I mean, I guess what I really want to know now that we're actually on the phone together is, how are you liking that new iPhone, buddy? Um, You know, it's okay.
1: It's good, I think. I just, you know, what happened to me is I dropped it in Vegas talking to Senor Silva. Oh God. So technically it's his fault. And since he now works for you, I say it's your fault. And I had, it got progressively worse throughout the day. At first I had a green line on one side of the phone. Then from there it went to, I couldn't touch parts of the screen and it wouldn't work. And I had to go to Denver and spend seven hours in a Denver mall at the Apple store. Not the best uh time management, if you will.
0: Well, you know time management. Hmm, I should tell everybody that we've got a uh maybe my favorite format that we do here on the show. We're gonna do Ask Bruce anything today. There were more than a thousand. You already questions have. A- you asked me
1: like two questions already. We're done?
0: We're almost done next week though. We're doing something totally different. We're going to watch Halloween havoc from 1998. It's one of the worst pay-per-views of all time. It's a rematch with the ultimate warrior and Hulk Hogan. And we are basically going to be picking on WCW for three hours because this is the show where we've got Goldberg and DDP in the main event and they would go off the air before the main event would finish airing. Just man, if it could go wrong, it did. Uh, the following week, it'll be all about fabulous moolah. And then we'll do a watch along on November 8th. And this will be before Bruce was there. It's the wrestling classic from 1985. Get a little old school flavor going for us. And we'll round out the month of November with survivor series 99 on the 15th survivor series 89 on the 22nd and survivor series 94 on the 29th. So it'll be all about survivor series in November, but you know, we can't do a show today without addressing the elephant in the room. One of our pals did not survive in WWE. Mr. Eric Bischoff is out. You have replaced him as the uh, SmackDown czar. And of course, uh, our Twitters collectively blew up. Do you want to release some sort of statement or speak to our audience? Just let them know what's going on.
1: I'll address it at the end of the show.
0: Sounds great. Let's keep it moving and let's go ahead and get to great friend of the show. Bad money, slim. Who writes in? Give us a horrible sex, drugs, and rock and roll story you've never told on the air, and you can change the names or no names, in fact, to protect the innocent. <laughs>
1: wow, uh, oh boy. Um, I, I uh, as far as funny goes, I I one time or more, more than one time. <laughs> I had some friends that used to um, smoke in the rooms and there got to be a point, you know, where for the most part, all hotels became smoke free zones. You couldn't smoke cigarettes. You couldn't, you know, no smoking at all in the hotel. So if you were going to imbibe in the ganja, then you had to get creative as to how you did it. And that, that, was the wet towels that was the shower going with a lot of steam and you spray your cologne to mask the odor, open up windows, whatever. And there were these, these two guys that had, had done this and and they always got together and would imbibe. And one of them got into town before the other and couldn't wait. And they were smoking in their room and the fire alarm went off. And the entire hotel was evacuated. Not just one. I mean, the entire hotel was evacuated. And finally, at the end, you know, uh, he was sitting down in, in, in the lobby. Hang on. And they second. came up to him. What, what What's day? that?
0: What time of day is this when this evacuation happens? About. I
1: think like 1030, 11 o'clock at night.
0: Okay. So uh, So so, some folks are asleep and they're out of bed now, uncomfortable and discombobulated, wondering what the hell's going on
1: in their jammies. Yes. And this one, you know, this one guy's sitting there and and they, they kind of noticed him and they walked up and they said, excuse me, are you in room 724? And he says, uh, I, I'm not sure what my room number is. What's your name? Told him his name. And they said, well, yeah, you're in 724. Look, you can't smoke in the rooms because the fire alarm is directly in correlation with the fire department. And if anything goes off, we have to evacuate. And this is what has happened. So the fire marshal or the fireman came over and talked to him and so on and so forth. So now his buddy gets in the next night. They go to the room, he says, I oh, hey, yeah, let's meet in your room. And they go to their room, they fire it up, and next thing you know, the fire alarm's going off. And he's like, Oh fuck, I forgot to tell you. So last night <laughs> he tells them the whole story. And they run out of the room and they go downstairs to evacuate, and they're sitting in the lobby and they're what looking around, going, Nobody else is evacuating. Like, we're the only people sitting in the lobby. And the front desk comes up to them and says, excuse me, are you in room 726? And they're like, I don't really know what my room was. Yeah, we think you're in 726. (laughs) This time, whatever they did, the fire people had come in and they had re- wired or redone the alarm system so that it went to the hotel only first then it went to the fire department if the hotel then had to do another step to call the fire department so if something like that happened the alarm only went off in the room where there was smoke and they were busted good and it was that was a funny one that was kind of like hmm made you go hmm
0: totally unrelated Uh, You can hear lots of uh, fun, old school stories right now from our great friend, Gerald Briscoe at FG Briscoe on Twitter Uh, every week right before Monday Night Raw. He's putting out stories by Briscoe and uh, he's pretty excited about it. And friend of the show, if you dig the content we're putting out for you here, you might even dig that. So check it out. Uh, Jay Ahola. wants That was an awful coincidental plug. Well, no, I just, I mean, I just know that he tells all Oh, because too. we're
1: buddies and we would travel together. I I, I understand the correlation now. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's, all. I mean, not saying anything. Um, Jay wants to know how would you have booked Hogan and Brett in 1993? In
1: 1993, I think that uh, I would have loved to have turned Hulk heel I would have loved to have turned Hulk heel and had him work an extended program with Brett, ending up with, um, I would have had Hogan take the championship from him in the middle of that, but I would have ended up with Brett and the title.
0: Let me ask, how would you have turned Hogan heel in 93? Like what would, have, what would you have been able to do to make that loyal, faithful WWF audience that grew up with him literally turn their back on him?
1: I think that with you, take the jealousy role and you be able to just amplify that a little bit and do Nothing different than what we were doing, because during the time the audience was booing Hulk. There was a segment of the audience that was already booing him. So just just kind of flip the script and do similar to what we did with The Rock. You bring him in and you put him against the the guy that is a champion that is becoming beloved and just it's a simple jealousy angle. And I think that one would have been the right way to turn him at least in WWE because it would have been a tough, it would have been a tough road. I'll say that because there were pockets, man, that Hulk was the hero and nothing was going to change that.
0: No doubt. It would have been, uh, it would have been tough for me to get behind booing him. But you know, what could have been, uh, Jay Stovall wants to know before returning to WWE, you were involved backstage for MLW. What eventually led to cause you and MLW to part ways.
1: Oh, that's easy, my schedule, because we were doing more and more live events on the road. And MLW had gone from being a Thursday night uh, TV taping to the weekends. And when they started running on Friday and Saturday for their TVs, I could no longer make those dates anymore because of the stuff that you and I were doing. And they coincided a lot for three months in a row. And I just uh, thanked Court and said, hey, this was fun, but. I've got to go do my own deal.
0: I'm pretty excited that, uh, they're going to be doing their pay-per-view debut next month. I think it's going down in Chicago. Um, what have you, what are you looking forward to with MLW? I know you used to keep up with some of that talent here or there. Anybody from MLW really impress you and stick out? I know once upon a time you were a big Matt Riddle fan, but Matt's now with the NXT and I think he used to be a Tom Lawler fan.
1: I still am a Tom Lawler fan, and I think that Tom is kind of that that shining star there to me. I think that Tom has that innate it factor that they just need to bring out a little bit more. And if you let Tom be Tom, I, I think he could be a player at some point for him. And look, MLW is a place where a lot of talent that is not scooped up by all the other guys. They, they can go out and they can shine and show their wares. Uh, Gino Medina coming in. You have heard me talk about Gino before. I think Gino is going to be a huge star for the future. So it's someplace that guys can get noticed, get on the radar and, uh, it's a great place to be.
0: It is. I mean, it's been a launching pad. It's the first place that I saw MJF. It's the first place that I saw Mance Warner. Uh, I've seen a lot of talent that is really getting over and making some waves. Now I saw him for the first time at MLW. So if you're listening to this show and you haven't checked out anything from MLW, go out of your way to do. So, uh, they're on BN sports. You can catch up with them a little bit right now on YouTube. They got a pay-per-view coming up next month. So, uh, be old school, give them a shout, check them out. Curt Zamora wants to know any good Mr. Kennedy stories. Do you think he has enough to do a full profile show on one day?
1: I don't think so. You know, Ken is a really talented guy, but Ken, in a lot of respects, for whatever reason, and some people can get snake bit like this, that as soon as he tasted a little success, unfortunately, he would either get injured or something would happen, whether it be behind the scenes or in the ring, whatever it is that would prevent him from getting to that next step. That happened in WWE, it happened in TNA, and while I think that Ken is one of those guys that can deliver, he can deliver in the ring and he can deliver in his promos, Ken always doubted himself a lot of times. And I think that maybe it was that tiny bit of insecurity that may have been the one thing holding him back.
0: I just recently read a little bit about. Ken and I read about it in a place that I never expected to but I want to give it a plug now life is short and so am I it's the new book from our pal Dylan the former Hornswoggle go out of your way to check it up it's a short read uh, but Ross Owen Williams who has been uh, a big player in, in professional wrestling memoirs for a long time uh, collaborated with Dylan they did a phenomenal job on this you can pick it up on Amazon the name again Life is short, and so am I. My life inside, outside, and under the wrestling ring. Did Dylan send you a copy of that book? Have you checked it out yet?
1: No, little bastard.
0: I get you a copy. I got you. I know. You're... I, I want it autographed.
1: They does, cost extra.
0: Does he do that? I didn't know if he they just got had. The, like they got a those. Stamp. You
1: know, like the the pencils you get at the uh, for the
0: little people store.
1: No, when you play uh, mini golf. Oh. They have
0: those. He can sign it. <laughs> oh, Boy, we should just roll credits. We're not beating that. Uh, Dave Buchanan was know. How
1: do you think he wrote the book?
0: Shorthand. Okay. <laughs> uh, Dave Buchanan Weston. Now, how come at SummerSlam 90, the tag team partner on the outside stood at the opposite ring post we're used to seeing. And he included a picture here that I know you're not looking at, but it is interesting because usually we would have. You know one team bottom right and the other team top left for whatever reason here we've got a team top left or, or, or bottom left and top right so it's the exact opposite of what you would normally see so it does feel like a production node like goddamn, we've got to switch it up try something new i have no fucking idea i know but if i don't ask you those questions then people think that you uh, were avoiding them mayhem wants to know Can you talk about Jim Johnston, how WWE met him? Did he have any other outside roles beyond music? Uh, what was your favorite theme he's done Is he low key, one of the most important guys in the history of WWE and most importantly, who has been his replacement?
1: Well, Jim, extremely talented guy. When I first met Jim, he had been with the company for a while and his studio was in the basement of a church in Greenwich, Connecticut, Jim Did all the music for WWE, whether it be the opens or the talent theme music, what have you. But Jim was an unsung hero that, see what I did there, unsung, because he did music, he didn't sing. Uh, As far as creating the soundtrack for so much of what we did, and... Jim eventually moved from the basement of the church into the new studio and had a big beautiful music studio there. I couldn't tell you. I I think that there's just a lot of different people that do a lot of, that contribute a lot on the music side of things uh, after Jim left. And I don't really know, but there's a lot of different avenues that they get music from.
0: It's amazing to me that This was, you know, he was such a big part of the company for so long and now he's out there. I mean, I think it was announced not too terribly long ago that he's doing theme music or or he did some song for impact, I think. And I don't know. Just caught me off guard. You just assume that Jim Johnston is a lifer. Uh, Mike wants to know on the, in your house, grand zero, uh, easy for me to say on the, in your house, ground zero episode, Bruce Pritchard references, Jerry Jarrett smoking weed with Al Gore. Is this a true story? And whether true or not, what would that have sounded like? Uh, No,
1: I don't know. I know that Al Gore and the Jarrett's uh, were acquaintances, but no, I didn't say they smoked dope. And if I did, I was kidding.
0: Calm down. Barbara Bush dope. He said marijuana. He didn't say heroin. Uh, Josh, well, did, I know, but
1: I—I I don't think I said that. I may have just well, jokingly you, said that.
0: Well, but. you know, you know, huh? I'll pass,
1: pass the reefer over here, huh? Well, you, you, how you roll it? Well, first, what you do? Well, you know, you take the well, the the paper. You know, and you put it when you well, you know, you you take and you hold, you know, and then you you crumble up. Well, you know the ganja, and well, huh? Yeah, okay. And then you you sprinkle and and roll and lick.
0: Hey, so since you're you're back now, spending a lot of time with uh, with Vince, have you broken out the old Jerry Jerry impression since you've been back? And did he recognize it right away? Everybody recognizes it. I do it more with Jeff than anybody. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny, but it is. Oh my gosh. You guys are terrible. Uh, I'm going to feel at home. Well, uh, you ever eat any crackers with? Never mind. Uh, Mike writes in Who does Bruce Pritchard consider to be the greatest heel of all time? Who was the best at getting heat from the crowd? And does Bruce think it's harder to be a true heel these days? With the way the business has changed. Well,
1: it's definitely harder to be a heel these days. That goes without saying, because I'm not sure that there are a lot of talents out there that truly want to be hated. I think that the business has changed. That guys want to be stars and be famous, but they don't really want to be hated. And that's a true art of modern time. I think that uh, JBL. Accomplished that, um, hated in all walks of life. But I think of all time, when you go back and you look at heels that could always go out and and get heat, there were, you know, people like Ivan Koloff, who no matter where Koloff went, Koloff was able to maintain his heat. The sheik was someone who was feared legitimately all over the world and the audience was genuinely afraid of him. So that, you know, where the that's where you find a great heel. Someone where the audience is afraid and they don't they're not really quite sure. Gino Hernandez was a great heel because he loved to be hated. He was able to tap into the inner that inner button within everyone that just puts them over the edge
0: you know i know that you uh probably haven't seen much of his recent stuff but you worked with MJF. no oh (laughs) he he worked with uh mjf at mlw i get the impression that either he wants to be a real heel or he's just a real asshole in real life
1: well i hope he wants to be a real heel um I don't really know, but it's, it's, uh, the difference between being one and playing the part,
0: uh, Josh Coon writes in now that Bruce is back, he's not related to that other coon, is he? No, this is with a C, not a K. Oh, thank God. Uh, now that he's back is Pritchard pushing for uh, Virgil to be inducted into the WWE hall of fame this year.
1: Virgil was already inducted.
0: Not dusty. Oh,
1: Hang on, baby. I I thought you was talking about Virgil. Oh, you're talking about
0: Virgil. I'm talking about fuck money. I'm talking about meat sauce. I'm talking about Olive Garden's finest. Mike Jones. Who? Who? What the fuck does that mean? I said Mike Jones. And then I said the word who. Shit.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm walking, Conrad. I'm walking. This is dangerous in my hotel room. I'm walking, and I'm stepping over wires to close the window, and I'm about killing myself. Uh, you never know. Never say never, because I think that when you look back and, and look at the whole presentation of the million-dollar man, you look back in that heyday of the business, I think that Virgil was a big part of that because he was always there you know, holding the money, doing whatever it is that the million dollar man needed him to do. So <laughs> that could happen.
0: Uh, I'm not mad at it. Uh, Josh also wants to know: Can Bruce tell us anything about the plan Duke the Dumpster drove? Say heel turn in '95, where he would join the Million Dollar Corporation, but then it was seemingly abruptly dropped.
1: It just Duke, man. Mike Drosy was just such a nice guy that. It was hard not to like him, and unfortunately, when he tried the heel turn and Million Dollar Man was going to clean him up, and instead of being a garbage guy, he'd be a sanitation guy. Uh, you know, little tweaks. It just it didn't come across true, and it came across like he was, he was really trying to play a role and didn't feel genuine. It didn't feel like a real sanitation worker. He was more a garbage man.
0: Uh, jdr wants to know uh, as long as you've been with wwe what was your favorite era to work in and why
1: i would have to say i really man i loved the i loved the late 80s early 90s really early uh during that really hot period and and what have you then uh From there, I think that, you know, attitude era for the money, that was great. But as far as being left with a clean slate and having a lot of your top guys leave the early 2000s, you know, from from 2000 till about 2006 was those were some fun years because you were building new talent, creating new stars.
0: Uh, brother Jack writes in, we've all heard how painful it could be to work with Shawn Michaels backstage and how no one liked the ultimate warrior. Who was the easiest person to work with?
1: Ah, uh, Ted DiBiase was super easy. Teddy was great. because Ted was such a pro and he could get anybody and everybody over. So, uh, Tito Santana was a joy to work with. Um, people like that, you know, Wahoo McDaniel was Pretty easy to work with tough, but he, he was easy to work with. If you were very clear with him and, and, uh, knew what the hell you wanted, man. But, uh, those guys kind of sit at the top of the list for me undertaker, but the easy going guys in real life are usually the easiest ones to work with.
0: Mike Whitaker wants to know, do you think we could ever see Lex Luger in the hall of fame?
1: Yes. I think Lex Luger will be in the hall of fame.
0: I agree. Um, we got lots of questions like this. I guess we should just, uh, attack it now. I don't know why everyone asked this, no matter what happens, but Mark Buffalo wants to know, Bruce, is this your last podcast today? Yeah. Why? Well, because anytime you no, get a the promotion, answer is no, I know. Goddamn, I no. know. It's just <laughs> any, oh, you're on the network. Well, the show's over. Oh, you're with MLW? The show's over. Oh, my God, he's with Impact? The show's over. Oh, he's back with WWE? The show's over. Oh, we got a promotion? The show's over. The show's not over, guys. Noon Fridays. Come on. Uh, Chris Herman wants to know, who was involved in bringing Vicky Guerrero to TV and appearing as a character? Did she approach WWE or did WWE approach her?
1: Vicky and I sat in Phoenix, Arizona in what was known as the TV office room, and we were talking this was the first tv we were in phoenix after eddie's passing and it'd been a while vicky came down to say hello and just be around the business and we started joking about what if you know oh my god could you see vicky coming back and could you see her managing ray only to turn on him and and just this whole crazy things you would never do. And as we're talking, I said, Mish question. Would you actually do that? I mean, we're laughing about it, but it sounds really good. Would you actually do that? She says, hell yeah. And Vince's office was like right around the corner and, there was two hallways and he was going down the back hallway. I think to go to catering or something. And I grabbed him and said, Hey, come here. I want to throw something at you. He saw Vicky, and they hugged and just sort of reminiscent. I said, we talked about some crazy shit in here just a minute ago. I just want to throw this out at you because I think it would be good. And we threw out the idea of using her as a character, as a heel character. And we just got to talking about crazy scenarios. Oh my God. What if you did that? What if you fell in love with someone and all this other crap and the rest as they say is history because she embraced it. It was, I don't know if in the beginning it was a, um, well, you know, here's the widow of Eddie Guerrero. Let's do something for her. Mm -hmm. It it may have, there, there may have been a tinge of that in there. But man, she delivered God. She delivered. And it was,
0: is she one of the biggest surprises you think in wrestling history? Like you got to think some of that mentality of, well, you know, she's the, the widow of one of our most beloved, we should take care of her, but who would have ever guessed she would be as damn good as she was at it.
1: Yeah, no, she wasn't good. She was great. And. She was a huge surprise and you're going to laugh at this, but, um, when you, you say people that you didn't think would got, I never thought I'd get over with the brother love thing. I wanted to do it badly, but it was more of a, I wanted to be an interviewer with the personality and I never in a million years dreamed that would get over to the level that it did.
0: Well, it got over. You know, it's, uh, it's remarkable that it sometimes happens where you least expect it. Chris has another good question here. Why did Sunday night heat fade away? I always thought Sunday was a great night for wrestling, especially when football season was over and I enjoyed it being a lead in for the pay-per-view days. Well, you know, who's this Chris? Yep.
1: Well, Chris, sometimes it's better to burn out than fade away, but, um, it just, <sighs> it was difficult and was becoming expensive to produce because it was eating into the production time on the day that we were doing live television. And I, there wasn't that big of an audience. So we looked at how we could utilize that time in that production in other ways. And Sunday night heat lost out, but I see what you're saying. It was a great lead in because people could go And get into the habit every Sunday of watching Sunday night heat, forget about the pay-per-view, but then we can remind them the very last, you know, the last few hours before we go into the pay-per-view. So it was, it was a good vehicle, but it just, um, kind of lost its place in the rotation.
0: Pretty fun question here that I don't think I've ever heard before. Mike Whitaker writes if Eric would have sent the NWO to a Monday night raw like dx was sent to a nitro would you have let them in uh probably not <laughs> i mean that's got to be the answer i know it's easy to say oh i wouldn't let him in but then when you really think about it on the other way fuck that
1: yeah we probably would have had him arrested or something
0: <laughs> that checks out Uh, Dan wants to know, Bruce, as far as you know, is there any such thing as safe steroid usage? Yes.
1: As far as I know, and again, I'm no expert on the subject by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, If you saw me without my shirt, you would understand. Um, And trust me, I will never do that to anyone. But under a doctor's supervision, steroids were used to rehabilitate and help muscle rebuild faster that's what it's used for and i think that under a doctor's supervision for what it was used for to help rehabilitate and repair muscle damage yeah i think that steroids have a purpose and used under a doctor's supervision are perfectly safe
0: all right uh, dr john taylor wants you to put your booking hat on uh, I'm going to edit the question a little Somebody
1: bit. Somebody should have asked Dr. John Taylor about the goddamn steroids then.
0: Bruce, Helen, in a cell, triple threat, Dodger versus Ginger versus Toby for the official dog oh, of Something uh, to Wrestle Championship. Tell us the creative.
1: Okay, well, first of all, Dodger would fuck Toby up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Toby, by the it, way, is Dave Silva's dog. For those of you who don't know, he posts about his mangy Stupid dog that pissed and shit all over my house for three days. Do- I mean, I need a Sarah McLaughlin song for that dog stat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Toby's a little asshole. Yeah. Um, but Dodger would fuck him up. Dodger would fuck him up and he'd be out in the first 30 seconds. And then Dodger would have his way with Ginger and she would proclaim Dodger the champion and the official, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard dog of the world. And the rest is history but he'd have his way with ginger.
0: I don't like what you're saying there.
1: I'm just saying he, he would, she would fall in love with Dodge.
0: Is there a character or gimmick match that you created that never made it to TV that you wish did? Well, I didn't
1: create it, but, i tell you one that I wish would make WWE uh, WWTV is a two ring battle Royal. It, it, not only just the two ring battle Royal, the way that we used to do it in Houston, but the two ring six man tag team match which is always a favorite of mine. You have two teams of three and you have a match going on in each ring. And the third man is in between the rings and can tag into either ring and participate in either match. So I just always loved the two-ring gimmick, and it's difficult in today's era because, oh, God, it takes up so much floor space, and you lose good seating, and then you got to shoot a second ring all night, and it's uh, distracting, what have you. But I think it's distracting in a good way. It's distracting in a talking point way that you can talk about all night long. And sell the idea of two rings. The other thing about it is. Is that the rest of the matches. They can't use both rings. They, they can't go back and forth. Because that kills the matches. That do use both rings.
0: I got you.
1: So. Um, that's one that I wish could, could make its way. Uh, never was a big fan of things on a pole. But. Uh, you know. Growing up in Texas, you always had the Texas death matches and Russian chain matches and Indian strap match. Everything had to have, everything had to have an ethnicity (laughs) apparently attached to it, you know, Russian chain match, Indian strap match, Texas death match.
0: Well, that's an area, but you know, what about, uh, you said you weren't a fan of things on a pole, but i mean heartbreakers. Good point. Uh, Mike wants to know when you finally get inducted into the hall of fame, who would you like to introduce you? That will never happen. But, um,
1: my, I'd love for my brother to either induct me or, uh, Jerry Briscoe.
0: There you go. Uh, Jordan Eubanks wants to know how in the world did Kevin Federline get involved with John Cena? (laughs) Kevin Federline, man. What a Some of you don't know, Kevin Federline was once upon a time married to one of the biggest stars in the world at the time, Britney Spears, and he became, um, a bit of a cult figure in the tabloid TMZ.com era. And then magically one day he finds his way on TV wrestling on raw.
1: Yeah. And Kevin Federline was probably one of the celebrities that I had the most fun with because he was so cool so happy to be there such a big fan and there was a little not a little bit there was probably a lot of fear in him because he knew he was out of his league and out of his element but he was such a big fan he was so happy to be there and I walked into dealing with Kevin ready to hate him because he came across like a a real arrogant dick the way that he was portrayed in in the media. Um, All the stories about him and Brittany. And when he first came with us, he was still married to Brittany. And then midway through, I think they got divorced and what have you. But I found Kevin, man, he was on time. He did everything he was asked to do. And you said, Kevin, I need you to be here at such and such a time and do this. Yes, sir. And he did it. He nailed it. So contrary, probably to popular belief, he, he was really a super, super fucking guy to work with.
0: Uh, BC NDC intercontinental tag titles. What was the plan? I don't know.
1: Well, I, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about.
0: Once upon a time, there was a rumor that you guys were considering... Intercontinental Tag Champions, sort of like the NWA had a World Tag Champ and then a U.S. Tag Champ.
1: Well, it may have just been a rumor that never made it to anybody seriously. Um,
0: Here's something you'll have fun with. Uh, has Bruce listened to any of Conrad's other podcasts, and if so, could he rank them in order from best to worst? This gives you a chance to shit on all of our mutual friends.
1: Okay, well, let's rank them. there's something to wrestle with bruce pritchard that i find highly entertaining and very good and and it's number one
0: sure everybody knows that
1: and then what else do you do
0: oh god i do grill and jr yeah that's how i rate them okay you like eric bischoff's podcast 83 weeks 83 weeks eric bischoff that's about it Not, not a big, I, and you you want the honest answer. You've never listened to any of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I knew that. Conrad, a little busy sometimes. I'm not not
0: upset, dude. You have one and a half hours free per week and and you block that off for something to wrestle. So, um, I get to talk to you for that one and a half hours. Yeah. So why, why would we be spending our time together listening to my other shows? Yeah. Uh, that's the way everyone feels. Jason wants to know, and I know you don't like to talk about current stuff, but this is a good question I think you'll have fun with. What is something that you weren't expecting, good or bad, since you've been back to WWE?
1: The Sonic Ice Maker in the uh, little coffee area.
0: You know, you don't, do you have Sonic... Uh, we do have Sonic, but there's probably Sonic Ice. There's probably pockets of folks listening who don't know what we're talking about. Uh, it, it's like the the small little cylinders of ice, not the bigger pieces, but the tiny, more crunchy ice. There's a lot of like uh, fast food hamburger joints here in America where they just sell bags of this ice. Yes, they still sell hamburgers and they sell milkshakes and tater tots and hot dogs and whatever the hell. Uh, but people will just straight up buy the ice and it's commonly referred to as sonic ice. And, uh, you can actually get some of those ice makers like for your home, but they're like six or seven grand. So people instead just run down to the hamburger joint and pay a dollar for a giant bag of frozen water in the shape of these little cylinders.
1: Well, we've got this little thing in the, in the coffee area and it's water, purified water and ice. And it's, it's small. But you hit the button, you know, and you get the ice, and it's like the sonic ice, and I love it. So I'm looking at it, and I go, I wonder how much ice is actually in there. And so I kept filling up cups of ice, knowing that I had more cups of ice than could ever possibly. I don't know how it, how it works, but I love it. So that's, like, my favorite thing.
0: Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it says about you that in your uh, free three minutes you decide, let's go fill up as many cups of ice as we can. You're an adult child, and we love you for it. Uh, John Riga wants to know. trust me.
1: You would do the same.
0: (laughs) Uh, where would you put WrestleMania 19 in your all-time favorite WrestleMania? It is my number one.
1: Well, my number one is WrestleMania 17. as we've discussed, and I think that uh, 19 was great. It really was. It was great, but, um, not as good. Not as good as 17. So probably in the top 10.
0: Two fun questions here. <laughs> Seinfeld or friends. Oh, Seinfeld
1: Scorpion all day King. long, twice on Sunday.
0: Scorpion King or the Moraine? Um,
1: Scorpion King, that's the one. Where he became Scorpion King, right?
0: now you're thinking of the Mummy was like his debut, or Mummy Returns, or whatever. But Scorpion King, yeah, Scorpion like, King tells the backstory. Yeah, it's like his his coming out. It's his movie. The Marine was a better movie. I, I somehow knew you were going to say that. Mick has an interesting question, one that I don't think we've ever talked about. What's the process for training new referees in the modern era? Are they trained in house or does WWE usually go for readily experienced ones?
1: No, they're, they're all trained. They're all trained, go through the PC and get trained. It's good. If you've already refereed before though.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Do you, I mean, do you know if there's somebody, oh, you know, we, we hear William Regal scouting this guy or that guy or whatever. I mean, are they also looking for referees or is that a different? skill set
1: well i'll tell you i mean as far as i'm concerned whenever i watch a show i look at everybody and i'm always looking for me whether it's a ring announcer or a referee or just somebody hustling backstage to make things happen um talent is talent so there's a female referee that works down at Booker's and she so badly wants to be a wrestler, but I think that she is a great referee and I'd like to see her try to try to continue doing just that because she's really good at her job. So everywhere you go, yeah, I think you're looking at everybody involved as talent and trying to find the best talent to come in and work.
0: Friend of the show, Mance Warner wants to know, why did power and glory's push stop out of the blue and were they ever in consideration for the tag titles?
1: Well, as far as their push, <laughs> I don't know that anybody would consider it a push. You know, it, they were a tag team and I thought they complimented each other tremendously because Herc was the big monster and Paul could fly and, and work, but I don't for whatever reason, they just didn't get over it. Maybe because they looked at Herc as a former single guy, now with Paul, who had always been a tag team guy. I don't know. I don't know if they just felt it was retreads. But when you go back and you watch some of their stuff, they complimented each other well, which to me makes a great tag team. Um, but they didn't really click with the audience. Is about the only thing I can think of.
0: I don't know why this one is fun for me, but Joe Lawson writes in where at Titan towers is the vault where the band material is stored. It's so funny to me that there's this, this perception that there's this group of this collection of DVDs or master tapes or whatever it may be. This stuff can never see the light of day. So it's in like a safe or a little under a little lock and key under Vince's desk or something. And we know that's not real.
1: What's well, what we call it's, there's another name for it. it's called the best of brother love.
0: <laughs> Never let anybody see any of this.
1: <laughs> and, that, and that's in my office. But, um, yeah, that's funny. And there is no more tape folks. Everything's digital.
0: I think a lot of people want to know the statute of limitations here. Uh, we got this question a hundred different ways. Here's one of them. Andrew Campbell wants to know, when is Hell in a Cell 2019 finally going to be on a poll?
1: Um, let me think. Probably <laughs> 65. That would be 229. Give me a couple years. 2034.
0: Oh, that's not that bad. Yeah. Be there, be there before you know it. So there you go. Everybody wants to know. When are you going to talk about how to sell, um, 2034, buddy, put your, put okay. it on your calendars right now. We'll do it on the You're, anniversary.
1: I, let's get more specific Conrad. Um, October.
0: Yeah. On the exact anniversary. That's what we do, baby. Yeah. Uh, Levi, on your calendars folks. <laughs> Levi Betts wants to know, did Vince ever talk about starting his own MMA company?
1: We actually had, uh, been in talks with uh, Bob Meyerwitz, who owned the UFC. And Campbell McLaren and those guys to purchase UFC before the Fertidas came in. So, yeah. But he, he was he was looking to actually purchase what was the UFC at the time, which was a no-holds-barred, um, a lot different than it is today. And now they have rules and, and different things, but it was a completely different animal. Back in the day, and we had talked to them about purchasing them and taking over that company, then the Fertittas came in and they just offered too much money.
0: Well, and if, if you're thinking you're spending too much money on high interest rate credit card bills, and it's adding to your stress, we have got a solution for you. Pay off your credit card balances and save yourself some money with a credit card consolidation loan from our friends at lightstream.com. With Lightstream, you can get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with AutoPay. That's much lower than the national average interest rate of over 20% APR. Plus, your rate is fixed. How about that? You get a fixed rate. So as rates continues to rise, your low rate won't budge. The online application, well, that's quick and easy. You can apply right from your phone. And you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. And I've told the story... A ton here on the show, but I used Lightstream myself back in 2014, I think. And uh, maybe that's right. Either way, years ago, they were so far ahead of the curve. I got the best interest rate I ever had on a car. I did it online. They overnighted me a check the very next day. So I was able to go shop like a cash buyer. I got the best deal in a car I ever had. I got the best interest rate on a car I ever had. And I know you've had a similar experience with Lightstream, right, Bruce?
1: absolutely and it helped my daughter get the loan for her car but the part i like about it the most it's simple it's so simple even i can do it so if i can do it i know you can do it and all you got to do is go to their website and check them out and they walk you through everything
0: absolutely amazing just for our listeners right now you can apply and get an additional special interest rate discount now the only way to get the discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle that's dot com slash Russell. This is subject to credit approval. The rate is going to include a half a percent auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. So what are you waiting for? Visit lightstream.com slash Russell for more information. That's lightstream.com slash wrestle. I can't recommend it enough. You know, if I'm endorsing another financial product on my own podcast, I believe in it. This is a good one. Uh, J dog writes in any Marissa Mazzola McMahon stories. You've mentioned Shane's family before, but never his wife by name. And most of us fans remember her from the Livewire era. What can you tell us about Marissa?
1: Just absolutely one of the sweetest individuals I've ever had the pleasure of knowing in my life. Um, class all the way, beautiful and just, uh, <laughs> perfect i mean she really is uh, from the standpoint of she's a great chef she's just a pleasant human being to be around and a wonderful mother i mean she i can't think of anyone or anything that could ever remotely find anything not wonderful to say about Maris.
0: hogan's thermos asked a few fun questions here one of them is has bruce it talks i know right Has Bruce seen NWA power yet? And if so, what are his thoughts on the return to studio wrestling in 2019?
1: Well, if you like studio wrestling, there's studio wrestling.
0: I take it, you know, since you didn't really grow up on studio wrestling, you're not a big fan of studio wrestling.
1: Um, I personally am not from, because I grew up watching Friday night, you had the matches at the Coliseum. Saturday, it was on TV. So it was a big arena feel all the time. And I've never produced studio wrestling. I've never... Um, I've, I've done stuff at Channel 5 in Memphis, but that's about the only studio wrestling I've ever been involved with. And it just always was a way for promotion to be able to produce their product inexpensively in a studio where they had their television. So it was a a mainstay in the South uh, all over, from Georgia to uh, Florida, Tennessee, a lot of places. Uh, Vern had studio wrestling in in Milwaukee, um, Minnesota, wherever the fuck it was. And it was a mainstay, but when you – You come from where I came from, the, the shows were all, you know, arena shows and it just felt bigger than with the studio wrestling. But, uh, if you like studio wrestling, man, there's studio wrestling.
0: Um, we've all heard stories about how Nikita Koloff would stay in character off camera. Any other examples of guys, never breaking character, even amongst the boys.
1: Well, Nikita broke it amongst the boys. Um, Boogeyman pretty much stays in character. Back in the back in the day, Moskris never took his mask off. You know what else he never did? No yup. Yeah. No yeah.
0: But uh there there were there were a lot of
1: talents, man,
0: that just back in the day. By the way, let me just tell you, we've got some some dicks who listen to this show. I don't know. I yeah. don't know how much time you spent on social media this week, but Poor Eric Bischoff got fucking bombarded with our no yob shirt, which is available right now at brucepitcher.com and you should definitely pick one up.
1: But as well as Dupe doo dude, I used to be over <laughs> and
0: pronouns uh, foul god goddamn. Well, I don't know why that was just too much for me. The Black Dave Meltzer writes when when Bruce was a Ute, what wrestlers were in his top five? Wahoo McDaniel, Johnny
1: Valentine, Jose Lothario, Boris Malenko, um,
0: no Terry Funk.
1: And, well, the funks were number one. So there you go. That's five.
0: Wait, wait, you can't say the funks. No, that's that, no, there's Dory, Terry and Dory senior. Well, that's three and you already that's had four.
1: Okay, Okay. I'm, well, I'm... so you want to, yeah. Well, okay. Then the funks Wahoo and Johnny Valentine.
0: Sorry, Boris, uh, Jeff Whittaker wants to know who would you put on your Mount Rushmore of promoters? So we know Bosch is on it. We know McMahon's on it. You got two other spots.
1: Promoters, um, Dixie. No, Dixie wasn't a promoter.
0: Oh, sorry.
1: By any stretch of the imagination. Jerry Jarrett. Nope. Um,
0: Eddie Graham. Okay. I'll put Bill Watts on there. So, Bill Watts, Eddie Graham, Paul Bosch, Vince McMahon. That's your set. Yeah. Where, where's Jim Crockett fall? I don't think Jim was a promoter either. Well, hey, asshole. I was trying to get a free plug in because I can't believe that I did this. I don't know that you saw, but. I found Jim Crockett, and he's coming to StarCast4 in Baltimore. It's his first public appearance ever. Nobody's heard from the dude in decades, but I found him. How about that? How'd you find him? Um, Lost Promoters R Us. Yeah. So he was a promoter, because I found him in there on the shelf. He was way in the back. I had to dust him off, but he's going to come down. Behind the ice cream? Not just for photo ops. No, it was behind the Sonic Ice. Okay. And, um that's it we've had him cryogenically frozen all these years and we're bringing him back to life we're starting a rival promotion it's going to be great uh maybe you've seen it it's studio wrestling comes on youtube on tuesday 605 uh yeah yeah yeah. either way jim crockett man come on he's going to do a panel and, and talk about jim crockett promotions the good the bad and the ugly that's that's going to be good stuff at Starcast in baltimore next month huh Thanks for helping me put. We'll, we'll,
1: we'll yeah, you know, I'll be on broadcast TV tonight on the Fox Network. Yeah, yeah. Check hey, motherfucker, don't need cable, don't need any of that. It's called Friday Night Smackdown.
0: I push your shit every week, and I ask for one little plug, and you're like, nah. <laughs> Fox, Fox. Well, you wanted me to put Jim Crockett over that? That ain't going to happen. Well, you could put over that I found him. God damn it, that's a miracle. Thank you. Just saying, it's a miracle. Uh, What is Bruce's favorite gimmick match of all time?
1: Hmm. Not big on the gimmick matches, as crazy as that sounds. I used to love as a kid either the chain matches, a Russian chain match, or a strap match. Um Andy match.
0: You gotta have those ethnicities. We're gonna do that from now on. I think from now on, whenever you guys have gimmick matches on TV, like you you should just try in the creative meeting, just suggest that you put a nationality in front. Just see how it goes. All right well, <laughs> I mean, you had a Punjabi prison i mean we're we're halfway there, baby, yeah, uh yeah, no I,
1: but I always i because that's what I grew up on. I grew up on you know uh cage matches and and things like that, so that's what to me those were those were the mainstays, those were the staples, so that's what was always my favorite.
0: Uh, Jamie wants to know any good Ricky steamboat stories. Was he ever considered for a WWF championship run after his successful run with the NWA strap?
1: I, I don't know if he was or not, you know, after, uh, Ricky had won the intercontinental championship at WrestleMania three and he wanted a lighter schedule and he left. But when he came back, my favorite Ricky steamboat story is when we went to Florida to work with this guy named Brian Lapalme who was the last fire breather that we could find that would teach us how to breathe fire. So Ricky and I went and we spent several days in, I think it was Fort Lauderdale, uh, in this parking lot where the great American circus had their tent put up in a mall parking lot. And (laughs) and every day, we would go and we would learn how to breathe fire and the guy tells us this is oh yeah it's real simple this is all you do And he was kind of showing off main thing you need to do is make sure you know hold it up and check the wind and make sure that you're never blowing into the wind because it can come back and catch your face on fire and obviously that wouldn't be good and the guy shows us you know he breathes fire one time and then he holds the thing up and he turns And he breathes a second time, and it comes right back in his face, and his face catches on fire. And Steamboat and I turn and look at each other, and Ricky says, yeah, you can call Vince. We're not doing this. (laughs) And um, he assured us that was a fluke. That never happens. Man, that's never happened. I think just because you guys were here. So we talked, uh, talked Ricky off the roof, and he did it. And I thought that was a pretty cool deal with the the fire-breathing shit, the fire-breathing dragon. It was different.
0: Let me assure you, son, you are a salesman. When you go show a man, here's a professional, and here's what you're going (laughs) to (laughs) do. This
1: is a guy that's going to teach you.
0: (laughs) He lit his fucking face on fire. Oh, shit. And you still sold it. It's amazing. I did. God damn it. I did. I'm so proud of you. Like, if you were here right now, I'd hug you. Because that's, like, the best Bruce sales story I've ever heard.
1: Oh, it was like, well, Yeah, but you're outside, man.
0: <laughs>
1: Let's go inside and, and, and show them. That can never happen inside. Oh. I was like, Rick, we, we, we control we control the wind indoors. And I would never ask you to do this outside, man. Come on.
0: Except, you know, if he was still around for WrestleMania 9, maybe. Except less. <laughs> uh, Carl has an interesting question. Again, I know you don't like to talk about current stuff, but he wants to know, are you going to Crown Jewel? And if so, how do you prepare for a trip like that?
1: Laxatives? Oh, wait. Um,
0: no, I was... I mean, it's, I it's a brutal flight. You pack a bag and you go. I think what he's talking about is it's a brutal flight. A lot of uh, people who listen to this show uh, obviously have never been to that area of the world. They can't imagine, you know, what the, uh, the process is like, like once you land to getting to the building and all of that stuff, the first time you did it, cause I know you've done it once before now, super stressful, better than you expected. What can you tell us? Unfortunately,
1: in my age, these days, it's all the same. So we had a big charter flight and you get on, you go to sleep, you wake up, you get off the plane, you go through customs. And since it is a charter flight, we're not flying in with everybody else and go through a a private part of the airport to go through your customs and immigration. Get on a bus, go to the hotel, get on a bus, go to the building, do the show and turn around and come home. It's just another stop on the tour it, it unfortunately it's not that you know it's no big deal it's just another day on the tour
0: Jeff writes in without question my favorite bit in the history of the show is Bruce doing the cornet voice and then cutting Conrad off yelling motherfucker I laugh every time do you guys have a favorite running bit on the show
1: what are you talking about motherfucker
0: you mean you've never really talked Fuck about you that? Do you have a favorite
1: motherfucker on the show? Dumbass.
0: What do you have a favorite bit? Uh, I'm going to tell you, I know. I I really hope they're not listening right now, but I don't think you and I have laughed so goddamn hard as when we were doing those train commercials earlier this year, Oh god! (laughs) I was trying to do a straight read and I couldn't keep it together. (laughs) And we both laughed so hard that you peed a little. And then I, and it was just, we had to take a bathroom break right in the middle of the show. And then I tried to, as soon as I got it together, put it back together to say, oh, and Ron Simmons was jumping off the train here and we just lost it all over again. But I left that part in and dude, I know it's a serious matter. And if anyone has lost a loved one to a train, we're not making fun of that. But the way I was trying to read the copy, it just tickled Bruce and I in a way where I don't think I've laughed that hard, maybe ever in my life. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's, there's, there, that was that, Sonny Pooted, and the f- the, there's been a few times we just get tickled, and folks, sometimes we do these very late at night, early, early morning.
0: Yeah, this is early morning today, but once upon a time, in the last month or so, we did it at like 1 a.m., so it's been some interesting recording times, when we get a little punchy. Just so sometimes
1: so, we get a little punchy. I think the uh, for you.
0: the funniest moment that I remember you and I working on the show when we weren't actually recording. It's so when we were in my office and we were putting together the Jim Cornette show and we had uh RG Taylor as a sponsor. So we had to figure out where we were going to put the mesothelioma spot. in. and we I said, when you're telling me about the George, the rat story, I said, what if we say that the rat died from, and you finished it, mesothelioma, and then just fell into the floor laughing and couldn't breathe. <laughs> It's tremendous. Poor George. Poor George. George the Rat needs to go into the Hall of Fame. I hope that happens.
1: He'll, he'll go into something to wrestle with Hall of Fame.
0: Absolutely. 100%. Uh, let's keep it moving here. Mr. Perfect Fan Ca- uh, Canada says, uh, Back in the day, how aware are you of enhancement and talent who will go on to become famous? For example, Jack Foley worked a match underneath against Hercules in 86 and several matches in 87, where there are times when you met someone and had to be reminded, Hey, we've met before.
1: All the time. Yeah. All the time. Because you, a lot of times it goes so fast and you, you don't, you don't realize, you know, you meet so many people and everything moves so damn fast. You have no idea who the hell you're meeting. Um, we went, we went through something the other day, my wife and I, and there were all these people that we were meeting when we were close on the house, and there's this one, there's that one, there's this person, and we sit down, and I go, okay, can we just sign the papers? Because I don't remember one of y'all's names, and I don't really care, so let's just go. Um, it just, it's just – it's the nature of the beast, And so many guys, you know, you go back to Shawn Michaels when he first broke in. This kid that could, the Hardys, on down the line, Mick Foley, they've all been there. They've all done it. Had to start somewhere. So, as far as looking at guys and and seeing when they work, hey, that guy's going to be a star. Uh, if they're in, if they're at that level, you think, okay, one day, very rarely are you gonna get someone who is this extraordinary talent to be an enhancement talent. They will turn into it, definitely, but they got to start somewhere. So yeah, it's it's a lot of times guys come up. Yeah, I worked with so and so. You were at Gorilla. Okay, cool.
0: Let's, uh, keep it moving here. Interesting question here. Can't wait to get your take. Chris Colley writes in, do you think WWE at this point has to be considered too big to fail?
1: No, one's too big to fail. And I think that, uh, the, the company is Jesus Christ. It's, it's a monster and it's a huge machine that needs to be fed. And as long as it's fed, it will survive and, and thrive.
0: To explain that, uh, back in the uh, American economic crisis of 2008, a lot of the big banks were considered, quote, too big to fail. And, of course, that resulted in a, a big bailout, and uh, there was lots of controversy as a result. I know some of our European listeners may not be familiar with the phrase. Earl writes in, this is maybe the question of the show. What happened to Mark Henry and Mae Young's handbag? <laughs> uh, let, me, let me try it again. <laughs> What happened to Mark Henry and May Young's hand baby? Did it grow up to be the hamburger helper or Arby's mascot asking for a friend? Well, he
1: came to one of the Raw reunion shows <laughs> as a teenager. <laughs> and Well he's he's grown in he's grown into quite the hand. Well, he's um, a hell of a hand. He is a hell of a hand. That was my next goddamn line. Um <laughs> So, but you know, he's, he's been stereotyped in, in that world and everything. And the hamburger helper guy, I mean that hand, he's just an asshole. I've heard that. Yeah. So he wanted to do, they, they wanted to do like a cheesy hamburger helper and he applied for that. And the hamburger helper guy just said, man, put a yellow glove on me. Fuck that guy. So it's a tough business, the hand business.
0: Uh, Earl, you are the man. I, uh, I just sent you a message on Twitter to DM me. We've got to get you a shirt, my friend, cause I'm stealing your hand, baby shit. Thank you. All right, guys, we got to run a timeout right now to tell you how to save some money. What are you waiting for? Go to save I'm talking to you. If you're a homeowner and you're in a 30 year loan, dude, it's not a matter of if I can save you money. It's a matter of how much, and right now is the best time ever to go ahead and do this. There's a lot of things going your way right now. All of a sudden real estate is worth more than ever. Your house is worth more than what you bought it for. Secondly, interest rates are cheaper than when you bought your house. Interest rates on credit cards in America are hovering around 19%. What are you waiting for? Let's consolidate what little bit of credit card debt you've got. Let's put it into a new monthly payment where you get the benefit of the tax deduction, because the interest you pay on your house, you can write off the interest you pay on your credit card. You cannot. let's also get the best rate possible way better than what you have right now. And oh yeah. How's this for starters? No house payments for two months. You won't make your November or your December payment. You're done until next year and come next year. You're going to have a better mortgage. Most importantly, you're going to get out of debt faster. We are routinely helping podcast listeners take their 30 year loan and cut six, seven, eight, nine years off of their loan. What are you doing? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. Check it out right now. Save with We're licensed in over 40 States. Check it out. Save with Conrad.com. NMLS number six, five, zero, eight, four equal housing lender. Uh, Ben Putman writes in, we've heard about certain wrestlers like big Van Vader, Stan Hansen, Rob Van Dam being sloppy and dangerous in the ring. And that means all of us fans are dying to know how big was Batista's dick. Still thinking about it. What's that? You know, Batista or whatever. Is it just that dreamy? Like you, I mean, whenever I mention it, it's like you go into a trance. Was it You have like a traumatic experience with it? Bob writes What's in, how come when a superstar is seen watching a match on a monitor backstage to scout their opponent, um, they're almost always standing up. And watching the monitor at an angle
1: how the fuck do you watch your monitor when you're scouting opponents
0: i don't actually scout opponents we don't have well, any here so on the there
1: podcast. you go so this is probably coming from someone that's never been back at the monitor scouting their opponent that's how you do it it's a little peek behind the curtain pal
0: we get lots of questions about this let's just answer it here j-dog wants to know are there any plans for something else to wrestle coming back to the WWE network? Never say never. Any Jess McMahon stories that Vince has told you about?
1: No, you know, I, uh, other than Jess being the pioneer in in the boxing world, Jess McMahon, who was Vince McMahon's grandfather, um, was one of the first promoters in Madison square garden to promote boxing and later on wrestling. But I don't know that Vince was ever around him. I have no idea, but, uh, no, there's not just, you you go back and look at the history. I tell you, you know, Madison square garden looks at Jess McMahon very fondly because of all the things that he did while promoting there. So it's, uh, one of those names in the boxing world that, is definitely revered.
0: Hey, let's talk about um, this. is a fun question we've never touched on before, as far as I know. Craig Olney writes in: Did WWF ever try to get the Four Horsemen uh, in the WWF? Now, the reason this is is fascinating to me is because you've told the story that SummerSlam '88, you thought you had Ric Flair as the guest on the Brother Love Show. By SummerSlam '89, you've got Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Soon thereafter, Barry Windham would be there and JJ J. Dillon would eventually follow suit as well. So you're going to have the manager, the leader, the tag champs, the U S champ. you you could have had the entire collection there had the flare thing happened. Do you think if all of them would have been there, Vince would have put them together and called him the horseman or would he have not done that because it was done somewhere else and he couldn't own it? I don't know because,
1: uh, I think if he had brought everyone over at the same time and done everything he might have, he might've done the four horsemen. I don't know if the NWA or whoever it was at the time owned the four horsemen trademark, but I wouldn't have surprised me for him to do that. No.
0: Drew Landry writes in, it seems like Bret Hart had several great WWF matches. Do you have a favorite?
1: Bret Hart. God, uh, the one you hate, WrestleMania twelve is one of my all time favorites. But uh, I don't hate. God, it. it's Brett, just overrated.
0: Had, thirteen with with Austin is
1: incredible. Thirteen with Austin is incredible too. But you know, you look at so many where Brett would tell tell these great stories throughout the matches. It was um, God. There's there's tons of them. Yes, but but thirteen with Austin, twelve with Sean, are the two that stick out. And, and the other one, the, uh, survivor series with diesel, the one where he won
0: mm-hmm.
1: with a small package.
0: That's where they went through a table, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, to me, that was just absolutely phenomenal.
0: Uh, Vorzug official wants to know, I need to know about your office situation. Do you have the same office you originally had? If not, who has that one now? Do you ever pull them aside and reminisce about the good old days in that old office? <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's so many people, and I had so many offices
0: <laughs> in
1: that office. There's too many to count. So, um, yeah, I, an office is an office. No, I'm not in the same office. Not even on the same floor. So,
0: Ringside yeah. wants to know if the Undertaker were to retire, who do you think uh, he would handpick to retire him, or do you think someone should retire him? And I'm, I'm sure what he means is. For years and years, the quote unquote tradition in wrestling was you go out in your last match, you lose. And, uh, you know, we saw Kurt angle, have his last match earlier this year and Baron Corbin beat him. And that's sort of always been the wrestling tradition. Who do you think undertaker will pick when, when that time is finally here?
1: I don't know, uh, but I don't think, for me, that anybody needs to retire The Undertaker. I think The Undertaker is the type of character that can live on forever. Now, he cringes every time I say that, but i that's the way I feel, and I don't even want to have that discussion because I don't think that anybody needs to, needs to retire him and make him go away. I like leaving that door open. I like the mystique of The Undertaker – and feel that he's special enough That you just leave him alone
0: Charlie Thrower writes in Recently the people from Viceland Posted a video of Cornet pulling off a Trick pool shot Besides Corny, who else was an old school Pool shark?
1: Gorilla Monsoon
0: That makes sense
1: Gorilla Monsoon was like uh, um, Minnesota Fats I mean he was incredible
0: Interesting question here from Mike, you're going to have fun with this. Who wins in a Houston street fight? Bruce Pritchard, Jim Ross, Arn Anderson, Eric Bischoff, or Tony Schiavone?
1: Conrad, I'm a three-time Black Belt Hall of Famer.
0: Sagar uh, wants to know, have you heard how Conrad behaves with Arn Anderson and Jim Ross? He treats them with respect and class. On your show, he cusses and screams at you and is about to show you a Hogan Warrior match next week. Are you not entertained enough in your 22 and a half hour work schedule to put up with this bullshit?
1: You treat them with respect?
0: Absolutely not. Good. In fairness, I'm not nearly as good of friends with either one of them as I am. That's what I was going to say. I mean, you know. <laughs> Our greetings to each other. We are just awful humans to each other by text. <laughs> yes, we are. So-
1: <laughs> We're terrible. (laughs) If anybody see, here's the thing. If people didn't know us, they would swear. We hate each other,
0: but that's the way we are with all of our friends. You've seen me with my other outside wrestling friends and I've seen you with your other friends and that's just our personality. We're busted balls 24 seven. So it's not, it's not a gimmick here on the show. No, it's no, it's definitely not. I mean, I never liked you. (laughs) Yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah, it's funny because it's true. Well, what else is true is that today's (sighs) episode is brought to you by CBS sports HQ and here's the thing about this, and this is awesome. This is a brand new sports streaming news network. It's live 24 seven and it costs you nothing. I can't believe this is real. It's absolutely free. CBS sports HQ coverage is always focused on the game. Tons of highlights, breaking news as it happens. Of course, your fantasy advice and gambling picks and analysis to help you get that extra edge. And when you turn on the CBS sports HQ, you'll see the tips and trends you need to win your bets. And don't forget, you can get access to all this great coverage completely free. Now we don't mean like free for a week or free for a month or free. If you have some special cable package, we're talking about totally completely free for everybody, man. You don't even need a login. Just download the CBS sports app on your phone your apple tv roku fire tv or other connected device at any time to watch cbs sports hq no fake debates just real sports for real sports fans at the great price of completely free you don't even have to log in or sign up for anything download the cbs sports app and watch cbs sports hq today and what's great about this bruce i don't know that you've had a chance to tinker with it on your side I didn't even like have to have a Wi-Fi connection and it still looked great on my phone. So if you're on the go, you're traveling, like you are, you need to keep up. You got to check this out. It's the new CBS sports HQ app. I know you don't like to talk about current stuff, but here's another one. Uh, who in the current roster would have made a great manager back in the day.
1: I think Sammy Zane makes great manager. Now and would have been even better back in the day.
0: We got lots of questions about Kamala this time, which I was a little shocked by Charlie Castor writes in a Kamala episode would be more interesting than a Taz one. Can you, and will you guys ever do a Kamala episode? We did get uh, a little bit of, uh, I don't even know how much of this we want to talk about, but, uh, Vince Russo, took a great issue with our Taz episode last week, because I guess in the show, and I did go back and listen to it. Um, you, you said that, uh, Vince Russo was in contact with Taz and they were sort of going around Jim Ross. And I don't know if Russo took issue with that, but that is definitely the version that you said. And that Taz said, so that checks out. But I think you said something like, JR was offended because it felt like Vince was sort of making side deals. And whenever those contract terms would come up, Russo would sort of throw the, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then they had to sort of back end and figure out what are we going to do? And I think Taz would say he actually had the contract negotiation discussion face-to-face with Vince McMahon, not Vince Russo. Do you want to clear any of that up? Because Russo has decided this is a hill worth dying on this week about Who discussed a contract with Taz 20 years ago?
1: Well, I know I didn't. And I know that Jim Ross was upset that it had taken place, that any contract, uh, negotiations had taken place initially without him being involved in it. And I have no idea what Vince Russo did or didn't do other than what I was told by Taz, who told me that Vince Russo made the initial contact. That's not coming from me guessing. That's coming from a discussion that I had with Taz. So if he wants to dispute that, then he can dispute that one with Taz. As far as Vince Russo negotiating contracts, no. Vince Russo never negotiated contracts. Did Vince Russo reach out to talent? Um ahead of JR. and ahead of us, um, yeah, I believe he did, but uh, that the thing, s- particular the th- quote is is from Taz.
0: Well, the thing about the contract that I think Russo sort of stuck on is, uh, and, and I heard the clip again this morning before we recorded, but you said whenever contract terms would be discussed with Russo on the talent side, I'm sure the talent through the course of this conversation, and I'm freestyling, I wasn't there, but I would imagine Russo being a creative type was like, bro, I've got great ideas, you can do this, you can do that, blah, blah, blah. And of course the talent that's important cash and creative, but they also probably want to talk about cash. So if it comes up, Hey, do you think I could look at an X number a year deal for about this? I felt like based on the clip I heard from our show last week, cause I even had to re-listen to it to see what all the hoopla was about. You sort of said Russo would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my understanding of that is. He was uh, not in a position. He would to avoid necess- the question, and right. there was nothing he could say. So, but but to your point, in the in the clip last week, you said, and then when talent hears that, they think it's a done deal, but they don't realize that's not the guy you talk to about that. You talk to him about creative stuff, but he's not your contract guy. True, he's not. Never was. Well, I think Russo wants an apology because it was inferred that you said he negotiated Taz's contract and he didn't.
1: Well, if I inferred that he negotiated Taz's contract, that would be incorrect. Uh, I won't apologize for anything I said. And as far as how all of that was handled was not initially done through talent relations. And that did upset JR at the time. JR eventually did. End up doing that contract with Taz. And as far as someone being upset about it, sorry you're upset. Bummer. Um, but that's the way I remember it. That's how I remember it going down. Did uh, he negotiate contracts? Nope. But I do know, you know, from, from a standpoint of if guys are talking about that, you're, you're wanting to get out of it. And it's going to be, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. we can do all that, but that's not my place. Go talk to whoever. Um, talent only hears what they want to hear a lot of times. And to that end, they hear what they want to hear.
0: Why do you think Russo is so upset right now? I beg your pardon? Why do you think Vince Russo is so upset with you right now? I have zero idea.
1: I, I, I look. I don't. I don't read his stuff. I don't listen to his stuff. So I, I have no idea.
0: Well, it's unfortunate. I wish you. Yeah,
1: you know. It, well, here's here's the other thing that that is unfortunate. Is that sometimes people will take a clip, a bite out of context, not listen to the entire thing and, and or not. Report and or deliver the entire uh, sentiment of things that are said and done on this show a lot of times and people will take. Oh, he said that. Oh, my God. And they'll take one little piece and get bent out of shape. Um, many. Not many years ago, w- whenever it was. Uh, we had done a show on him and I asked him the question I said, when he got upset about it, I said, did you listen to the show? No, but I was told. I said, OK, great. I was told you said a lot of untrue things about me. But you know what? I didn't comment on it because I didn't listen to you. I didn't listen to it. I don't care. Um, so I'm not going to make a comment on it. It's unfair of you to make a comment when you didn't listen to the entire thing.
0: So. I uh, basically don't care. Well, you know, he he was such a big part of wrestling for so long. and uh, he's Two so, years. Well, whatever. He's very upset now. And I wish he wasn't angry about anything and everything. I mean, he's... And so do I. I mean, you know, wanting you to get fired, and you're a snake, and he's drawing awful paintings and selling them on eBay of you. And it's just, it's very weird that this is somebody that you and I just, what, a year and a half ago, or... And semi-regular communication with and uh now just he's decided to see the worst in everything I, I don't know like i didn't take what you were saying last week to mean that i've never even heard that vince russo negotiated a contract ever like so far out of left field i understood because uh, i speak bruce that you were saying that anytime it was brought up he would just yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of being dismissive, and then somebody else had to put the pieces together because that wasn't in his wheelhouse. His lane was to correct. And I'm not saying he would offer terms. I'm saying if it came up on the other side, he would dismiss it. The, the, I don't know. It's one of those deals where uh, it's
1: well. That's what I meant. And, and yeah, you speak Bruce, and sometimes not everyone speaks Bruce.
0: Yeah. Well, listen. I, I I hate that he's upset, and and maybe he's just pulling a gimmick for downloads on his show. And if so good for him, but it's like, you could email us or text us or call us or DM us, or or you could draw paintings and sell them on eBay and tell everybody that they're liars and snakes, but Oh, click this link and go buy here. Um, so whatever, uh, Jeffrey Rose wants to know, why did Vince choose you to come to New York with him? He brought lots of territories over the days and there were tons of employees for those. So why did he choose you? Well, Eddie Gilbert had gone up
1: and met with him in 1986. Yeah, had to be 86. And Eddie had asked if I was interested in going to New York. He gave my name to Vince, told Vince about me and called and we talked. And I mean, that's it. I I don't know that there were that many people that wanted to go to New York that were qualified or capable, what have you. Um, I actively sought the job out and I actively wanted to go to New York and do whatever it took to succeed. So maybe that's why I I interviewed. <laughs> you know, I talked to the guy. I told him I wanted to to go to work and I wanted to be there and do what I had to do
0: let's talk about uh scott steiner this is a fascinating question we've never touched on from broncello bruce you told us the story once of wanting scott steiner to win the 1993 royal rumble had that actually happened would there have been considerations for making him the guy to slam yokozuna on the intrepid
1: Uh, by that time no you know scotty they were already with the company at
0: that point right yeah Yeah, yeah they came yeah Um, I I guess the idea is, had you went with Steiner, could you have slid Luger out and slid Steiner in?
1: Well, had we gone with Steiner, Steiner would have been the guy just period. So, um, but again, Vince, Vince wasn't up for that and felt that we needed to build Scott and Rick and Rick and Scott were not looking to be split up at the time. They didn't want to do singles, so we didn't do it. It wasn't even—it wasn't something that really could even be discussed.
0: All right, one last question before we wrap things up here. Francis wants to know, uh, what's the one thing you think people don't know that they should know about Vince McMahon?
1: That he's human. And, well, goddamn, let me think about that. Maybe he isn't. Uh, um, But no, really and truly that that he's human and uh, just like everybody else and has a very tough exterior that he puts out there. But he's, you know, the biggest thing is, is he's he is fair and he's human. I I think a lot of people just look at him as a, a larger than life being and forgets that he's a human being sometimes.
0: Well, and, uh, another human being that we talked about at the top of the show that we said we would circle back to is, uh, our great close personal friend, Eric Bischoff. And of course you and he made all the headlines on Tuesday and you said you would address it at the end of the show. What would you like to share with everyone?
1: Well, I'd like to say that I think that Eric Bischoff is first of all, Eric is a friend of mine and Eric is a good friend of mine that i love personally i love him professionally and i was sad for the news that came out this past week um on a professional level and a personal level so you know i want to wish eric the absolute best eric and Ari aren't uh, <laughs> you know oh my god eric's gone i can never talk to him again absolutely not and um you know, sometimes in business things happen for whatever reasons. Sometimes you don't know the reasons and you have to move on. But I do believe that Eric Bischoff is one of the smartest guys I've ever met and worked with. I think he's one of the nicest guys and he also is a human being. So when you sit there and you make comments through a keyboard or through your phone and it's a faceless, just random thing, Remember that you're making comments about human beings and you're making comments about real people that have families and real people that, yes, we're in the public eye and I get that. And to a certain point, say and do whatever the hell it is you want to do, but also remember that it's real life and that we are human and that we do have families and believe it or not, we have feelings and I know that Eric will succeed and Eric, uh, you know, this is not, you know, it was like, he ain't dead. Um, but I just want to publicly wish Eric Bischoff the absolute best in business life and everything else because he's a good friend and I'm proud and happy to say that he's my friend.
0: Yeah. Listen, I know that Eric, um, hasn't always been uh, the most endearing person at times. He, uh, uh, a lot of fans have, have bought into the character, Eric Bischoff, but behind the scenes, I have always thought that you should treat someone how they treat you. And Bischoff has been nothing but fantastic to me and my family. And, uh, he's just not what you expect, but for whatever reason, a lot of fans, uh, villainize him and, and had, uh, Had a little fun at his expense this week. Do you think, you know, and obviously you don't have a crystal ball and you'd just be straight up guessing, but do you think at this point, Eric may have had his feel of wrestling, like as far as being involved in a company, obviously he enjoys the podcast and he enjoys live appearances. And he likes when, you know, we do live shows and things like that. But do you think, uh, he may say, nah, I've had enough of that. I I don't, I don't think I want to try that again. Or do you think he may pop up somewhere someday? Uh, you
1: never say never, you know, I mean, it's I- anything can happen and I hope that whatever does happen, that, that he's happy with it and he will he'll make a go of it. So
0: here's what I mean so- specifically. Sometimes I hear from old school guys who say it's just in my blood. I just can't get away from it. It's like, even when you try to leave, like there's something that always pulls you back to wrestling and for a lot of other old timers it's really all they know that they haven't found found a way to sort of make their way outside of wrestling. Eric has had success outside of wrestling with some of his different businesses and specifically with his television companies. So because he's had all these different facets of life, this may be easier for him to put down unless it's just really, really in his blood. Do you think it's in his blood the way it's in yours?
1: I do think it's in his blood, but I also think Eric could walk away from it, and he has. He's he's built a successful production company, and he's done that. So that's not out of the realm. And you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the next chapter is in his life. And it it's yeah, it's uh, I, I was sad, and uh, again, it, it's we're still friends, and he's a great guy. And that's that's the real part. That's not, you know, somebody trying to to be a dick or, I don't know. I just, it amazes me sometimes what, what people will say and do from a distance.
0: Well, we hope that you guys are enjoying the show here. We hope you'll listen to Eric's show this coming week. If you want to hear from Eric, uh, he is probably going to uh, make some sort of statement. This coming Monday, when we cover Scott Hall and WCW check out 83 weeks anywhere you enjoy your podcast. and of course tell your friends about something to wrestle because we're doing something insane next week i'm making bruce watch ultimate warrior hulk hogan from halloween havoc 1998 are you gonna have a few cocktails before we do that i mean this feels like chinese water torture or something like that
1: maybe because i'll i'll be in the new house and i'll be in the new studio and yeah i might just kick back and have a little fun.
0: Well, stay tuned. Next Friday and every Friday, because the show's not going away, right here on Something to Wrestle With Bruce Pritchard. Shaka. I'm glad you dropped that Pancho Villa shit.
1: Pashovilla? Pashovia, are you asking me, man? Do I know Pashovia? Yeah. We had a long, one time. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to P X G and Titleist and Callaway and on and and Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you fifteen to twenty? You pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys. The podcast. Part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.